even when it gets very hard and very difficult. That's what it means to be all in. And this principle of all in, of being committed, is essential to our faith and our relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to this thing about Jesus, but, but essentially what I mean is that the Bible tells us how best we are to live. The Bible kind of lays out for us, if you like, the best way for us to live on planet earth. Jesus calls it abundant life. John 10 verse 10, this is what he says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about the devil. The devil wants to kill and steal and destroy. But I have come that they, that's all of us, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Some translations say, have it to the full. That's why Jesus came. Not to make us feel better. Yes, a hope in a future, but part of it is abundant life. And if we want to experience this abundant life and eternal life, which we'll, I guess, mention in the series, we have to commit our lives to Jesus, to follow Him, to be led by the Holy Spirit along the way. In other words, we have to go all in for Jesus if we want this abundant life. And I guess that's the essence, the heartbeat behind the series. And so I'm going to read a scripture from Matthew chapter 16 in a moment. I think there's three verses. And the first verse, Matthew 16, 24, is kind of like this three-step command of how we get this abundant life. Here's the three-step plan to abundant life. That would have been made a better title, eh? Deny yourself sounds kind of... <laughs> I don't know what this sermon's about, deny yourself. But here's the three-step command from Jesus. And he says to his disciples, Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple, never wants to have rest for your soul, to put it in that scripture, Matthew 11, that lady shared, Whoever wants to be my disciple and have this abundant life, this overflowing life, this overcoming life, must what? Deny themselves. Take up their cross, that's the second one, and follow me. I wish it said something else. I wish it said, whoever wants to be my disciple must think happy thoughts, say nice things, and go on holiday. We'd fill the church quite quickly, eh? <laughs> no, Jesus, Jesus' commands are often completely opposite to what we expect. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you want to hold on to those things that are precious to you, Jesus says you, you're going to end up losing it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What does that mean? Whoever goes all in for me, whoever opens their hand lives open-handed. Whoever throws their lot in with Christ will gain everything. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Oh, what a question. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It's, it's a rhetorical question, which means we know the answer. You can't give anything in exchange for your soul. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. It sounds like quite a hectic, and it is quite a hectic message. It's a difficult command, but we're going to over the next few weeks, pick up on those three things in this series 
and trust God to speak to us about how we can follow Jesus wholeheartedly and be all in for Him. And so today we're going to look at the first part of that command, deny yourself. It's a tough one. It really is hard, but I think if we can get it right, if we can understand it, everything can change. We can live it out. It'll transform how we live. And so the question we're trying to answer today is, how do we deny ourselves? What does it look like to deny ourselves? I think the first point when it comes to denying ourselves, we have to look introspectively with God. Look introspectively with God. King David was one of the greatest kings of Israel. And you can read about his story in the Old Testament. And there's lots written about the life of David from when he was a young boy, a shepherd boy, to when he was anointed king, but he he didn't yet become king because Saul was there until he eventually became king, how he ruled, how the kingdom advanced, etc., under his leadership. The mess-ups he made because he was just a human, um, and eventually how his son Solomon took over from him one day. There's lots written about David, but we also get a bit of a sneak peek into the life of David because like someone copied his journal and put it in the Bible. It's called the Psalms. His songs, his prayers, his complaints to God are recorded in many of the Psalms. We get this kind of peek into his life. And David knew what it was to look inside his heart, but with God looking inside his heart, if that makes sense. Psalm 139, verse 23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a really simple prayer of David saying, Lord, look into my heart. I need you to shine your light into my heart. And I think David knew, like many of us do, but we don't admit it, that our hearts, what does the Bible say? Our hearts are deceitful above all things. I think it's Jeremiah. Who can understand it? And the problem with our own hearts, and if we just look at ourselves from our point of view, our hearts deceive us. They kind of, they, they um, uh, develop all kinds of excuses and reasons and justifications and hide the truth from us, make us feel better when we not, uh, for me, my heart is really good at putting stuff in boxes. So like, if I don't want to think about something, I just like put, the, put it in a box, put the lid on it, and like I can shove it in the corner of my mind, and I can go on. But we need God's light to shine in our hearts because our own view of ourselves is often a bit better than what God thinks of us. It's just our hearts. And if we're going to truly deny ourselves, we, we need to know some of the stuff that's deep inside that needs to kind of exit the scene, if that makes sense. And... This process of looking inward, we need God to shine His light because we often deceive ourselves. But it can often be helped by a series of questions. And so you can ask questions like this, where is my life heading? If I think my life is going in this direction, but I I ask God to shine His light, I kind of ask, is my view of my life matching up with what God wants? Right? What are my priorities? I think these are the right priorities, but what does God say about what I think are the right priorities? Am I letting God direct my path? And so David asked God, search my heart. God, 
David wants God to be involved in this process of searching his own heart and life. I don't think I've prayed this prayer specifically, but I remember a time when God did shine his light, and it was a good thing he did. It was quite a difficult thing at the time, but it was necessary. And it happened about, what year are we? 2023. 18 years ago, 17 years ago, I'd been saved for a couple of years. I was at university. I hadn't met Candace yet. She wasn't on the scene. I was single, but all my mates were hooking up, starting to get married. I was in my kind of mid-twenties. And um, and the church I grew up in, in that city, in that province, um, some of the preachers had said, like, you know, when you when you looking for a spouse one day, you must pray for your spouse because that God prepares them. And so that, you know, God's done a lot of the fixing before you marry them. So it's a bit easier when you get married. <laughs> That's how I understood it. Maybe they preached it differently. But, and they said, no, it's good to have a list of things to pray for. You know, you mustn't just, you must have some standards like, you know, they've got to be a believer. And like there was, and the point behind it was, I see some people shaking their heads. The point behind it was, if you are called to like preach the gospel to farmers in the rural area, but your, but your spouse is like a city slicker, like you're going to struggle to work out that call. It was more about compatibility in your calling than about other stuff. So I had this list of things that I was praying for the perfect wife. And I felt they'd be given to me from God. And it wasn't like, blue eyes and blonde hair. It was like, Lord, let her be prophetic. Let her hear you. Lord, let my wife be someone who, who loves you deeply, who loves the church, who loves people, who has an outward heart, who goes to the nations, the church I got saved into. I'd been to four different countries on missions in the first two years I got saved. So I had this heart to, to go and see the gospel go out. And so I prayed, Lord, let my wife be like this. Not physical stuff, but like spiritual stuff. So I was like, sure, I'm, you know, I'm doing well, praying for all the right things for a wife. And uh, there were two girls that I liked in this church. And both of them, like they filled all the criteria. And, uh, you know, in a church, and you're Christian, you can't like flirt because you feel bad about flirting. But you kind of, you just like flirt like 10%, okay? <laughs> you don't want anyone to see you flirting, but you want to let them know that you kind of like them maybe a little bit. Yokes have all felt today. <laughs> anyway, so I thought that these girls, like they, they seemed to return the signal. And like perhaps my antenna weren't working, but I thought I was getting something back. Anyway, so I'm like, wow, meet all the criteria. There's possibly something happening. And I hadn't even got the courage yet to, inv- to ask any of them on a date yet. I mean, I was just like, Lord, is this the one? What's going to happen, you know? And then from nowhere, both these girls started dating other guys. And I'm like, but weren't I getting signals from you? And I'm like, you know, guys are just slow. We just, you know. And even though I hadn't even had a date with any of them, my heart was like a little bit broken. It was like, it was sore, you know. Oh, oh exactly. Oh, oh. And I can remember sitting in my, why are you laughing? Here I'm being vulnerable and pouring out my heart. Anyway, all right. Shame, thank you, thank you. I remember praying in my bed last night and just being in in, uh, distress, like, Lord, I've missed it. Like, I just wasn't even close with these girls, close to even anything with these girls. And 
I felt like God shined his light in my heart. I didn't pray this prayer, but it felt like that's what God was doing. And he said, Glennon, you think you can choose the perfect wife? And I had my list, and I was praying through the list, and they were all spiritual things, so I thought I was, you know. I felt like God say, why don't you let me choose your wife? And I, it's just like this moment of revelation where I realized I was trying to put what I thought was best for me and tell God what I thought was best. It all sounded spiritual. But actually, I realized in that moment that God can do a better job of choosing my wife, my future, my job, whatever it might be, because He knows me better than myself. He knows the future. He knows compatibility. And I had to have this moment of, of like open hands. I got, I, I repent for my prayers, but I, I let you choose. Lord, you choose the perfect wife. And it was like this moment where God just shined His light, and suddenly I realized, oh, wow. Like kind of a moment like with David. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that for us. Because those kinds of moments, those aha moments, they don't happen by themselves. This is what the, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. But when He, John chapter 16, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you on to all truth. That was the truth I needed to hear at that point in my life. So God desires to lead us into all truth. And if we let the Holy Spirit shine His light, He shows us the best way to live, and it's from the inside out. So what does God want to reveal to you today about what's going on in your life? Maybe in your mind, maybe in your heart, like it was with me. If you let Him direct your steps, you'll find this abundant life that He, that he talks about. And when he does shine his light, the second thing we need to do is to live with open hands. Because often he shows us something that we need to give up, deny yourself, right? Okay, everyone take out their hands, a little exercise. Put them up, let's get some, some exercises going here. You ready? This little light of mine, I'm going to let... Okay, I shouldn't sing. Okay, now keep your hands out. Now make, a, make fists, like when the... Like when the New Zealanders are beating us. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Was that same one? Epic. <laughs> you know that when you're living with closed hands, it's hard to give stuff up. I'm talking metaphorically here, right? When we think something in our life is essential, that we have to have it, we will never let it go. Okay? Actually, most things in our lives are, how would Jesus put them? Um, just things we want. We all have these things. Mark chapter 10, here's an example of a young man who also was holding tight onto stuff. And this is what Jesus said. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, you shall not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, this young man declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. How cool about that? I'd love Jesus to say it about me. Jesus looked at Glendon and loved him. That's yeah, cool. B 
But one thing you lack, Jesus says, go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus only ever said that to one person, hey? Go sell everything you have. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It's a powerful statement. Jesus knew what was that one thing. This guy kept all the commandments. The one thing that this guy was holding on to tight. For us, it's all different. But Jesus knew and put his finger on that thing. He tells the rich young man to sell everything and give his money to the poor. But that's not the amazing thing. The, the response of this man tells us more about him. It says he went away sad. His face fell because he had many possessions. And I wonder too if us, all of us, we have too many possessions. Not necessarily material things. But as we go through life, we accumulate, what's that fancy word? Baggage. Very spiritual word. We accumulate the stuff, these possessions from the past. We carry them around with us. Hurts, offenses. Things that are in the past that we've held on too long, but don't actually fulfill us. They're habits, perhaps, that create all kinds of unhealthy rhythms. God is saying, open your hands. Let go of them if he's shining his light onto that thing. And when God shone his light into my heart, I had this moment where I was quite happy to open my hands and say, Lord, let you, I'd let you choose my wife. Because I'd realized I'd tried and failed dismally. <laughs> Didn't even go on one date. Okay, it was quite clear the choice I should take. Right? It was easy for me to open my hands. But there was another moment when it came to shooting where it was much harder. And in 2004, I started following Jesus. I was at university. And in October that year, I went to my first ever equip. And back in those days, the NCMI equips were nationally. It was done in Bloemfontein. All the partnering churches would gather in Bloemfontein for a whole week. Now we do it kind of regionally, the equips happening in October in a couple of months' time. But I remember going to that equip, the very first equip I went to as a Christian. I love the worship. I love the teaching, the fellowship. There were thousands of believers from all over the country. It was an incredible, faith-stirring week. And on the drive back from Bloemfontein to KZN, God, like, challenged me. And I, it was quite clear that because I'd been a Christian for a few months, I was becoming all in when it came to my faith. Uh, I started going to church every Sunday after I got saved. In fact, the church I was in had meetings on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. I went to church twice on a Sunday. Went to prayer meeting on a Tuesday. Went to life group on a Wednesday. I, I'd started, like my shooting, becoming all in with my faith. And I was loving it. And on the drive back from Bloemfontein, I feel, felt like God saying, Glennon, you can't be all in for two things. You're going to... You're not going to be able to do one fully or the other fully. If you're doing competitive sport and competing at that level, you've got to train five, six days a week. You've, you've got to literally go all in. Everything else gets excluded because you're wanting to exceed and excel. And I felt like God saying, Glennon, you can choose. And I don't think God tells this to every sportsman because there are plenty of wholehearted, on-fire believers who are professional sports people. 
amen, we need them, right? But for me, not like God's saying, well, if you choose this, you're going to have less of that. If you choose that, so like I felt I had this choice, and I felt like God kind of telling me, lay that thing down. And that was hard, because as a shy, introverted person, to give up something that you're successful at, that you had some kind of achievement in, it defined me. All my friends knew I was Glendon. In fact, I'd, in one of the times I was shot in the UK, I'd won the British National Championships. I was decorated. I got, a, I got a pile of medals at home that my kids love going through. I'm not trying to boast. I'm just saying this thing had, had defined me because I was successful at it. And I had to lay it down. I felt that let down, and I did, but it was hard. I've never looked back. I've never regretted that moment. But when we open our hands, God is saying, let some stuff go. And the last point, once we've been able to open the hands... The third kind of point on this of denying ourselves, we mustn't look back. We mustn't look back. It's such a simple statement, but it can be a game changer, right? You've heard that phrase, your rear view mirror mustn't be as big as your windscreen. Have you heard that before? Okay. So what's a rear view mirror? If you're driving in a car, it helps you see behind you. But if your rear view mirror is as big as your windscreen, all you're seeing is what's behind you. And often we can look back in our past and our history and can be so consumed about what's happened up until this point that it obscures the view of where God wants to take us. So we must have a rearview mirror. You can't drive properly without it. We must be able to look back and say, wow, look how far God's taken us. Look what all that God's done in my life. We've got to be able to look back and reflect. But if we only look back, we'll never go forward with what God has. Uh, Genesis chapter 19, there's a story about a man called Lot and his wife. And Abraham, uh, Lot was Abraham's nephew, and God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the, they were sinful towns. And uh, you might remember the, the account where Abraham says, no, would you destroy a whole city if there were 50 righteous people? The Lord's like, no, I won't destroy them if there's 50. What if there's 40? And like Abraham knows Lot is living there and Lot's going to die if God judges the whole city. But he knows that Lot's a good guy. So like he negotiates with God. And you know what ends up happening? I forget what the number they went down to, 10 or 15 or 20, I don't know. God ends up destroying the city because there's not even that many righteous people. It's like just Lot and his wife. And so as God is judging the city, Lot is escaping with his wife. Genesis 19, 26, it says this, But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. That's in the Bible. God turns someone into a pillar of salt. Scientifically, I don't know how it happens, and I'm a scientist. Don't look back. <laughs> Here I am looking back at the screen. But some of us can miss the point of this little story. How come God would do that to someone? God is cruel. That's not fair. All she did was look back. I think we should rather ask, why did she look back? And you look at the Hebrew word that we get the, translated into looked in verse 26. It means to regard something with favor, with pleasure, with care. So God had said, this is a sinful city. She was looking back and saying, I've loved this city. Kind of shows you where her heart is. The Lord looked at the city and wanted to destroy it. She looked back 
with fond regard over the stuff in her past. And when God points something out that must be left behind, we have to be willing to leave it and not look back. Not wish for the good old days. I've heard that phrase. So as we kind of end this morning, what is God wanting to do as we look ahead? Let's read in Philippians chapter 3. This is an amazing verse from Paul. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's talking about, just before that, how he would love to so serve Jesus and so be filled with His power that he would also like attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's his, his aim was a high aim when it came to following Christ. He says, I haven't yet got there. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Forgetting what is behind, seeing what's ahead and straining, leaning in, being active, taking hold of those things that God has in my future, because God's called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And Paul could have easily looked back at his past and been impressed. In fact, he kind of, in, in Philippians 3, he, he kind of gives his CV before he got saved. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin. As for righteousness by the law, perfect. As for zeal, persecuting the church. He could have um, he was held in high honor because of what he'd done in the past. He was a gifted leader. He was celebrated because of what he'd done to try to eradicate the church. But he had to learn, like we do, to let go of his past. He didn't regard it fondly. He didn't try and go back there and bring the past into the present, like we are so good at, at doing. But he had to answer God's call for the future, deny himself, look inside etc., etc. Why? Because God has this abundant life. It's waiting, right? It's waiting, this abundant life that Jesus offers. But we need to let go of some stuff to get there, right? As Lainey said in her prophetic word, come to Jesus. He's the one that gives us rest for our souls. What if the band could come up? I'm going to ask us to respond in a slightly different way this morning, I'm going to ask us to close our eyes in a moment, and then I'm going to pray for three different groups of people. And I presume all of us might be in multiple categories, that's okay, you can respond more than once. But I'm going to ask that God would do something in our hearts because there's no other way to get to this abundant life than through Jesus' command to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. Abundant life is not found anywhere else. No matter what ideas are on Google or on TikTok or wherever, abundant life is only found in Jesus. So I'm going to ask us to close our eyes as we pray, as we respond. I'm going to pray for three different groups of people. As I said, I think we're probably all in multiple categories. And so as God has spoken to you this morning, just respond. All of our eyes are closed. I want to pray for three different groups. If, if you're in a place 
this morning where you are feeling stuck. You've got no idea what it is you need to leave behind. You've got no idea what it is that, that you need to open your hands about. You, in that point of needing God to shine His light in your heart and just show you something that's inside. I want to pray for, for those people first. If you fall into that category, just stick up both your hands where you're sitting. I'm not even going to open my eyes. But if you need a prayer for, Lord, search my heart and know what's going on so that I can know what's going on. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Father, as hands are raised, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, shine your light into our hearts. Sometimes, Lord, our hearts deceive us. But Lord, I, I pray for your light, for your truth, for your revealing, even if it's difficult, even if it's painful, even if it's something that we've held on to so tightly. Father, I pray right now or while we worship in a moment or during this week, would you show us our own hearts, Lord? Second group of people I want to pray for. If you're in a place of maybe you know what you should be giving up, maybe you know what you what that thing is that God's highlighted, but you're battling to open your hands. You're battling to give it over to God. You're battling to walk away from something. You're holding it too tight. You feel like it's essential, but actually God would say it's it's not essential. If you're battling to open your hands this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is just to raise your hands shoulder height and just open them and I want to pray for you this morning if you're battling to let go of stuff you're battling to open your hands maybe you know what it is Father this morning as our hands are raised symbolically open symbolically in a posture of surrender Holy Spirit I pray for your divine power right now to open our hearts in the same way to let go of stuff that is not helpful to let go of stuff that's maybe sinful, Lord God. To let go of stuff that is hindering us. It might not be a sin, but it might just be slowing us down on this race that you've called us to run. Father, we open our hands before you. We give it over to you. Take it, Lord God. This morning, if you are looking over your shoulder too much, if you're looking back at the past and the, the, the backpack on your back is full of stuff from the past, maybe there's scars, maybe there's hurt, maybe there's hurt from another church or a church leader, maybe there's hurt from a parent or a teacher, I don't know, but if you are carrying stuff from the past, there's no ways you can take hold of the things of God if your eyes are looking back. And if that's you this morning, you can also raise your hands like I am doing. Father, we don't want to look back. We don't want to bring the past with us. Father, we are grateful for what you've done. We glance back every now and then and, and see the greatness and power and goodness and grace of God having brought us this far. 
But Father, we know that if we keep looking back only, we can never move into the things you have in our future. And so right now, Father, we choose to fix our eyes on you. Fix our eyes forward. Fix our gaze on the future. And like Paul, forgetting what is behind and straining, leaning forward, being proactive, laying hold of that which you have still got for us in faith. Father, cause us to be a people that are future-oriented, future-focused, falling forward, not falling backward, falling forward on our face as we serve you and, and worship you. Father, what, you've, what you're asking us to do to deny ourselves is impossible without your empowering. So I pray, Holy Spirit, come and touch us and fill us. As we end in a song of worship, Lord God, would our hearts be lifted heavenward? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask us to stand. We're going to just end declaring and worshiping Him because He's the one who enables us to live and who draws us to Him.